He has a standing in that conference that is extremely high, and none of those men want to do anything that's disrespectful to him, both, I think, out of their personal regard for him and also because it would not be good politics. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Tuesday, August 1st. Today, I'm joined by Abby Livingston to try to answer the biggest question on Capitol Hill right now. What is up with Mitch McConnell? Whispers about the Senate Republican leader's health have been around for months, and they burst into public view last week when McConnell zoned out during a press conference. So will the 81-year-old Kentucky legend retire, and who might replace him if he does? Abby and I also discussed the ambitions of House Democrats elected in 2018, who are now looking at running for higher office. We'll talk about all that and much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am, I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com dot me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep you're creating a better life happy tuesday everybody welcome to the powers that be happy august as well i'm joined today by abby livingston to talk about maybe the the biggest source of interest on capitol hill these days which is the health of senate republican leader mitch mcconnell who is 81 years old and as everyone has probably seen by now Totally spaced out uh, during a weekly press conference last week. McConnell obviously has had health issues in recent months. There are questions about his age and and the age, quite frankly, of (laughs) many people in the Senate, including Dianne Feinstein, and their health problems and their ability to serve. Abby, you reported before this now infamous moment that there were already whispers on Capitol Hill about McConnell retiring after his term, about who might succeed him, John Barrasso, John Cornyn, 
John Thune, maybe all members of Senate leadership, all white men as well. McConnell's office is being really cagey about what actually happened in that press conference. They say he just got lightheaded. He came back. He took questions. He was fine. In their words, he was sharp. But it's clear that his health is a topic of discussion among senior level Republicans. What are you hearing? Well, what I was hearing started when I started this job at Puck in June. I was sort of out of the game for a solid 10 months, and I just started calling my sources. And in the spirit of Puck, this was the quiet part out loud, that there was a great deal of discussion. And it, as a reporter, you have different techniques, but a lot of what I was doing was not asking about it, and people were volunteering it to me. And this was all very hush-hush mm. off the record. But it was in almost every Republican conversation and some Democratic conversations. And simply put, I think much like Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell has taken on almost a mythical place in the Republican Party. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of senators in the whole Senate kind of world, which is huge, had never really stopped to think about the world after him. There have been pieces written that there's these three Johns and someday they will have a, a leadership race, which we had that with Pelosi as well. We were gaming out mm -hmm. leadership races 15 years ago and Pelosi was still there. And so what I can say is there was beginning to be earlier this summer at, when I started having conversations, the realization that this is actually going to happen. And so when he froze at the news conference, this was in front of reporters and on and a live television camera on C-SPAN. Sometimes those are taken live on television. And it was sort of like this pent up conversation that was happening behind the scenes just sort of exploded. And we have seen that since then with the specialized Capitol Hill reporters coming out with extensive reporting about McConnell. And he's had at least one or two, I can't remember exactly, undisclosed falls that we didn't already know about. So we, we know he was hospitalized in March and was treated for a concussion and, and was out of the Senate for several weeks. What, what were the other falls that we now know about? Uh, after my story published, I believe at DCA airport, the airport outside of Washington that mm -hmm. the most members of Congress use, there was one in Helsinki and I don't have the date in front of me, but it's also been on the radar and that we've seen a lot of reporting come out since that news conference. And so it's been very revelatory. This whole moment, Abby, has also become kind of a meme, um, like on TikTok and, and Instagram, people are using the moment to be like POV, like you're an old person at the grocery store when you're asked to insert your chip. And then they like cut to McConnell, just like zoning out. <laughs> but like his health is a real issue. Uh, as I said, we have so many old people in American political leadership. What's interesting here, though, is that he was elected in 2020 for the one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh time <laughs> to the Senate. So he's got three more years left here. Maybe that's a long time. Is there a chance that he might step aside? And then if so, even if he just serves out his term and retires, which one of those three Johns do you think is the front runner to replace him as party leader in the Senate? Uh, I don't have any reporting to indicate that there would be any, be any sort of stepping down early. But what I do think has happened is the reality of the leadership race is starting to take hold. And what I was told explicitly over and over early in July was if there is a leadership race, nothing's happening. Nobody's reaching out. Nobody's cajoling. Nobody's whipping because there mm -hmm. is such a high regard in that conference. And I know some listeners 
may not appreciate that because he is somewhat of a villain to the left, but he mm -hmm. is, he has a standing in that conference that is extremely high and none of those men want to do anything that's disrespectful to him, both I think out of their personal regard for him and mm -hmm. also because it would not be good politics. So I, I have had conversations about this and John Thune, South Dakota Senator who actually took down a Senate majority leader, Tom Daschle is the number two whip. And I think he's an obvious contender. And then there is John Barrasso, who's the number three, and he is from Wyoming. Uh, he's actually a physician, and he was with McConnell that day. But there's also John Cornyn, who is from my home state of Texas. He is a former whip. He was term limited out. He'd probably mm -hmm. still be in that slot if they didn't have term limits. And he is sort of, um, I've, used, I've seen the word uh, consigliere used. He's very much mm -hmm. a de facto member of leadership. Mm -hmm. The sense among most conversations I've had is it's boiling down to Thune and Cornyn. Cornyn did push for a very, very mild gun bill in the aftermath of Uvalde, mm -hmm. and he also did with Sulphur Springs. When there is a mass shooting in Texas, Cornyn is very engaged in looking at things that can be done. That may not play well in the conference. Mm. Other people will say, no, that's completely different. He is very good at whipping. I covered that gun vote. He's told me many times he prefers the carrot, not the stick. He's very well liked. He's got very good interpersonal skills. I'm sort of knowledgeably biased toward him. I'm not, you know, politically, but just I know a lot more about him than the others because mm -hmm. of my Texas experience. Barrasso is sort of perceived as fading in this. That said, I've had a lot of pushback and it's not from Barrasso's office. I mean, they would probably take issue with that anyway, but generally there are people who say he is very much in the hunt. So it's the three Johns and it continues on. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but compared to the House, all of those guys are still, all of their instincts are still toward the establishment. They are Team McConnell all the way. And we saw the disastrous <laughs> election of Kevin McCarthy to speaker being held hostage by the MAGA right in the House and all those rabble-rousers. In the Senate, it's much less likely that the Ted Cruz's of the world would get involved and mess around and, and try to stop one of those guys from becoming party leader. Or am I wrong? I mean, I had a smart Republican tell me they might migrate toward Barrasso, and that's why he's got strength. But generally speaking, it's a world of difference between the House and the Senate in Republican politics. That mm -hmm. said, every time there is an election year, the numbers of the anti-establishment Republicans in that conference continues to grow. It went from Mike Lee, Ted Cruz to Rand Paul mm -hmm. to, I believe, Rick Scott getting 10 votes against Mitch McConnell last time, mm -hmm. which seems pretty paltry, but it is an increase. So I think for now, the Senate is is very establishment-minded in the Republican Party, but I don't know if we'll be saying that in five years. And then what is the establishment then? Totally. Abby, I want to take a quick break. Uh, and also, by the way, thank you for reminding me about the 2004 uh, Senate race between Tom Daschle and John Thune, which in hindsight must go down in history as the handsomest Senate election of all time. Those guys are so good looking. <laughs> One of the best um, Senate races of all time. <laughs> seriously, great race. Two lookers. Uh, take a quick break, Abby. I want to come back and ask you about the House Democratic class of 2018 trying to climb up the political ladder. Welcome back to the Powers That Be, everybody. 
Abby, we've talked about this a little bit on, on the podcast. All of these all-star House Democrats, Colin Allred, Katie Porter, Abigail Spanberger, Alyssa Slotkin, they're now running for or thinking about running for higher office. The latest buzz here is Spanberger from Virginia's 7th District, former CIA officer. She won in 2018 by pushing into sort of suburban white districts in a, in a Democratic wave year. She's now thinking about running for governor of Virginia in 2025, which feels like a logical step for her. She would be one of the most compelling candidates I can think of in Virginia. What does this mean, though, for people in the House? Because these folks are stars. They can raise money. They're popular. People like that tend to run for higher office. But they're leaving some competitive seats behind if they decide to run for these offices. So like, for example, Katie Porter in Orange County, I mean, is she vacating her seat to run for Senate in California? You have to. And so, yes, this is so the Democratic Party, as we know as observers, struggled mightily over the last decade with a farm team. And so 2018 injected this new young talent into the party. And this is both a benefit and a curse of that is that they're all, you know, a bunch of these folks are running. One of the sort of politics 101 of congressional races is unless your incumbent is a hot mess or corrupt mm -hmm. or has serious problems, it is always better to have an incumbent running versus an open seat. So this is a headache for the DCCC, the, I mean, the House Campaign Committee for Democrats. It's not mm -hmm. fatal. It just means it's going to be harder. They're probably going to have to spend money to introduce the new nominee. There will be a primary. And these are exceptionally talented politicians in different ways. Mm -hmm. So it's not like a, a catastrophe. It's a headache. What I will say is that we're going into August recess. And usually by now, there's a pretty good sense of which way the wind is blowing politically in the down ballot races. And I think it's uh, maybe we'll have a better sense when members come back in September, but it's pretty hard to tell which way. So we are looking at a knife fight district by district at this point for the House. Mm -hmm. That analysis could change in six months, but right now every seat counts. And I would say Spanberger is perceived as the bellwether district in the country. And so that's going to put mm -hmm. all the more pressure on that seat. That's so interesting. Why is her district, like what character does that district have that you think makes it the ultimate bellwether? Because I have my thoughts as well. You know more about it geographically than I do. Not, but, since, um, not since redistricting, though. I mean, like, okay. I used to know the old Virginia 7 when it was Eric Cantor's seat and the sort of, like, suburban white Richmond running up into some sort of more countrified areas. But now it's sort of, like, up around, like, Fredericksburg, north of Charlottesville. Like, I think it's a, a tougher district, actually, than her former one. Um, I'm going to use some jargon, but it's it's <laughs> got a what we call a cook PVI of, I think, plus one or plus two, which means this is a really tight district and a Democrat has a very, very narrow advantage. She won. I don't remember the exact margin last term, but she won rather comfortably mm -hmm. given that. And so I think that is why as you know, someone who doesn't know Virginia as well as you am looking at this and scratching my head. The other thing, and we talked about this last week too, this is in the East Coast time zone. And so when the networks are needing to talk about something besides the presidential on election night, this will be the mm -hmm. district. There's always a district in Florida or Virginia that they look to to study. And so that will sort of set the tone for election night probably more than any other uh, house race. That's right. I mean, you know her. Is she is she definitely going to run for governor? Are my homies back in, in Richmond really want to know? 
I have not confirmed that she's running for uh, governor. What I will say is Politico has put out a report and it has not been stomped on publicly. So I think it's fair to assume that it's accurate. That, dear listeners, is a wonderful piece of advice when you're trying to make sense of the news. If a story comes out and no one like explodes at it, it's probably true. If a story comes out and no one else confirms it, it might also be false. That's a, Those are two ways of thinking about stories like that. It's a frightening moment for a reporter. <laughs> exactly. Abby, thank you so much for your insight. As always, you are kicking ass on this Capitol Hill beat, despite your leave of absence, which was good for you. It's good for everyone. Everyone needs to take a break from politics to come back to it. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Peter. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.